0: Hello everyone, I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon, and this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older.
1: So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of
0: coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about who's in the driver's seat, or isn't. We'll bring you another installment of ads and fads. We'll talk about the possibility of seaweed that tastes like bacon. We'll introduce you to the driverless concept that Tesla is experimenting with. And we will decry the mounting mounds of trash that are accumulating in outer space. The Old Dogs conversation is with Kathy Beal, a woman who refuses to be pinned down but loves to talk about it. Stay with us. Well, Paul.
1: Yeah, that's. There's always trouble when you start with <laughs> well, Paul. All right, go ahead.
0: Well, Paul, what's on your mind?
1: Well, what's on my mind, Jim, is driverless cars. Uh-huh. We have a pod nugget that deals with a guy that was arrested for sitting in the back seat while his Tesla was on autopilot. And that right. raises the question, is yes. this scary in the future that we may see a lot of cars on the highway that are
0: driverless? Yeah, I would say that that's reasonably scary. I'm scared about that, aren't you? Uh, A little concerned. I don't know if I'm scared.
1: But yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to react to it, whether that means I'm going to have to be more vigilant as a driver and give kind of a wider berth to cars that don't have a driver. I don't know.
0: Well, how do you know? I mean, theoretically, the driver of a driverless car is supposed to be behind the wheel while the car is driving itself. So how would you know when there's a car under those conditions?
1: Uh, actually, I would feel more comfortable if there actually is somebody sitting in the driver's seat. What I'm concerned about is whether there's somebody that's in the passenger seat sleeping and that's the only other person in the car.
0: Well, I've got to believe that's not going to happen. But Why you, do you believe this? It's Jim? because I have... Trust and faith in humanity. (laughs) I see. Yeah, that's what got us into World War II, if Uh, I recall. Yeah. I think that there is going to be a gradual shift. I think that there are certain types of vehicles that are delivery vehicles that have no driver whatsoever. And I think that we'll get used to those. And I think that we're going to see those on the street way before we start seeing a lot of people buying driverless cars.
1: Okay, what about driverless (laughs) 18-wheelers? 18-wheelers scare the heck out of me, even when there's a skilled driver behind the wheel. Yeah. That's scary.
0: Well, I guess I do have faith that anybody who is operating a car that has driverless technology is still going to be sitting in the driver's seat.
1: Maybe, but does that mean
0: are they reading or are they watching television? Well, that's a good question because, you know— In the past and continuing to this day, we will see people reading a newspaper at the wheel or on their phone Right at the wheel. There are people who are not paying attention to what they're doing, even though they're supposed to be. So I would say, actually, that in many cases, it's going to be better if there's driverless technology because these people are doing that anyway.
1: I see. So you would let them read and watch television and text as long as there is some kind of a uh, a system in place that is driving the car? Well,
0: I don't think it's up to me to let them do anything. That I'm saying they're going to do it. Well,
1: hold on. This whole dialogue is about when I'm king. And, oh. <laughs> and, okay. Well, I tell you, it's the, the problem with a lot of technology is it, it tends to get ahead of any kind of philosophical thought about what are the ramifications – and that's what I'm afraid is happening maybe with the autopilot is it maybe requires a lot more thought about how this is put into place.
0: I well, promise you. I will tell you this, that when I see that bumper sticker that I'm sure you have seen as well, that in case of the rapture, this car will be driverless, then I am going to really worry because it'll probably be true then.
1: Or what about baby on board and he's driving? He's <laughs> driving. <laughs> Due to popular demand, we are bringing back ads and fads, our segment about pop culture in the 50s. Well, truthfully, there wasn't really a great demand, but no one asked us to stop, which is about the same thing, isn't it?
0: Smiling Ed McConnell had a kid's show in the early 50s. He started each show with Hiya Kids, which was followed by the audience singing the sponsor's theme song, I Got Shoes, You Got Shoes. Everybody's got to have shoes, but there's only one kind of shoes for me. Good old blank, blank, blank shoes. Fill in the blanks, and you have the name of the shoe
1: and the name of the show. For extra credit, name the little gremlin (laughs) featured on the show, and we'll give you the answers later in the podcast. (laughs)
0: Those pesky folks in food laboratories are at it again, Paul. Yeah, They are trying to find a vegetable substitute for a food that's perfectly serviceable as it is. This item is from the National Geographic magazine for May 19th, 2021.
1: This time, they're trying to turn seaweed into bacon. No. This is a tough sell, so the hype machine is in full swing. They call it the superfood of the future the most productive protein source on Earth. They've even pulled out this whopper, (laughs) bacon of the sea.
0: (laughs) The item in question is a strain of seaweed called Dulce. It's found in the northern Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Northern Europeans have eaten it for centuries. Well, that's fine, because when you ask seaweed munchers, they say seaweed tastes just like... Seaweed, Yeah, they're not pretending it tastes just like something else until now. Oregon State University researchers
1: have patented a strain of dulce that can be grown in tanks using only seawater and sunlight. As a food product, it grows rapidly and is rich in vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and protein. You could say the same thing for cockroaches as a food product, (laughs) but you won't find them on my dinner plate, Jim.
0: Yeah, well, some say that when this seaweed is smoked and fried, it tastes just like bacon. (laughs) Ha ha, come on. Any food that is smoked, fried, and salted will bear some hint of bacon flavor, but it won't be just like... Whenever you hear the phrase, it tastes just like, you know it's followed by a four Pinocchios big lie. Remember the short commercial life of the tofu hot dog?
1: Why don't these food manipulators work on a substitute for, say, turnips or
0: artichokes? Yeah. Nobody
1: cares about those foods. If you want to replace a meat, how about pork rinds or beef <laughs> liver? Be my guest. But bacon is the only thing that tastes just like yes. bacon. It shouldn't be messed with, and I'll tell you, you won't catch me ordering a seaweed, lettuce, and tomato sandwich.
0: You know, I think they should do a turnip substitute that tastes just like turnips. Yeah. Who cares?
1: Yeah. A man in San Francisco was arrested for leaving the driving to his Tesla while he sat in the back seat. <laughs> well, at least he wasn't sleeping. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for May 13, 2021.
0: The driver, Param Sharma, put his Tesla Model 3 on autopilot and moved to the back seat of the moving car. A highway patrol officer gave chase when he spotted the driverless car at a toll plaza. Sharma nimbly moved to the front seat as he was pulled over, but it was too late. He was caught no-handed.
1: You see, in California, it is illegal for an autonomous vehicle to operate without a driver behind the wheel. Who knew? Sharma was charged with reckless driving, although technically the charge should have been recklessly <laughs> not driving his
0: Tesla. <laughs> Upon his release, Sharma insisted in a TV interview that his driving, or rather non-driving, wasn't dangerous And he didn't intend to change his behavior. Well, that's a boast I'm sure he will come to regret now that he's the poster child for backseat driving.
1: Now, before you run out and try backseat (laughs) driving in your Tesla, consider this. The autopilot feature is intended as driver's assistance, not replacement although Consumer Reports said that its engineers were able to easily trick autopilot into operating without a driver.
0: Apparently, this is common knowledge. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is currently investigating nearly two dozen crashes of Teslas that may have involved the automatic steering and braking technology. In the words of that great musical group Paul Evans and the Curls, Keep your mind on your driving, keep your hands on the wheel, and keep your snoopy eyes on the road ahead.
1: Who would have thought that there's a junkyard in orbit around the Earth? The problem is that various space programs have been littering up there for over 60 years. This pod nugget is from CNN, dated May 8, 2021.
0: Recently, a 22-ton Chinese rocket fell out of orbit and was about to hit the Earth. Luckily, it landed in the Indian Ocean, but it could have hit a populated area. The uncertainty has renewed discussion about the dangers of space junk.
1: You see, there are an estimated 9,000 tons of material circling the Earth from old satellites, rocket bodies, and other discarded stuff from space programs. And more stuff is on the way. The number of
0: satellites in the sky is supposed to double in the next 10 years. Most of this junk is smaller pieces that will burn up on re-entry, but even burning up could be a problem. It leaves behind the byproducts of combustion that can affect the ozone layer of our atmosphere.
1: The junk that remains in orbit is circling the globe at speeds of up to 18,000 miles an hour and no one is steering. A collision with working satellites or the International Space Station is a strong possibility. In fact, the space station had to adjust its orbit three times to avoid a catastrophic
0: collision. Near-Earth orbit has become the landfill for the space industry, and it's filling up fast as more countries develop a space program. More research is needed to figure out ways to clean it up and keep it clean in the future. I got an
1: idea. How about a big Swifter? Uh, It'd have to be three, four miles across. Yeah.
0: And where would you be pushing it to? Ooh,
1: okay. The answer for our ads and fads question is Buster Brown shoes. And the show was smiling Ed McConnell and his Buster Brown gang. A feature on the show was Froggy the Gremlin, who was summoned with the phrase, Plunk your magic twanger, Froggy!
0: Boy, yo, yo, Hiya, kids! Hiya, hiya, hiya! Where do we begin with Kathy Beale? In her life, she's been many things and continues to be evolving at a rapid rate. Let's find out where she's been and where she's headed in this exclusive Old Dogs Conversation. How would you
1: introduce yourself to someone who has never met you uh, and know that they have a fairly full picture of you?
2: There are a couple of ways I go about this. One of it, if I'm being really smart ass, is just to say I'm a professional Aquarian and they go, what? <laughs> but uh, I have been known to just rattle it all off. Like I'm, a, I'm an author, actor, attorney, astrologer.
0: Which one would you like to start talking about first?
2: Well, the one I didn't mention was self-amusing personality, and that really is the umbrella for
0: all of this. (laughs) All right. Well, riff on that a little bit.
2: Well, some people have very material or worldly measuring sticks for success, and for me, I will choose to do things if it looks like it's going to amuse me or be fun, even if it's not going to bring me any money, which has led to a certain experience of life, but... You know, I have rich and full memoirs in the offing as a result.
0: All right. Well, your life has taken you to different cities from the Montrose section of Houston to New York City and finally a mountain in New Jersey. How about if you give us a brief travelogue?
2: Okay. I grew up in Dallas. Uh, My father was a a university professor. So I grew up in Dallas and I went to college in Dallas. I went to law school in Austin and then I moved to Montrose and was there for Uh, 19 years, and uh, a a sequence of of bizarre events that connected being a restaurant reviewer and my love of the Marx Brothers threw me into a video that put the Marx Brothers on the deck of the Starship Enterprise, and I was playing the Dowager role, and that set a bunch of dominoes into effect that led to me moving to New York City to live with the guy who had the biggest Marx Brothers fan site at the time. Uh, so that I was in New York for a few years with him, and then we moved out to New Jersey to his childhood home, and uh, I have stayed in the town since his death.
1: So what was it like switching from Houston to New York? What adjustments did you have to make?
2: After six months, I found myself collapsed in a heap in a fetal position, sobbing, going, what, what have I done? I really had difficulty with how angry everybody was that I came in contact with, uh, how inexplicably dirty... Everything was in the stores, and when I first went back to Houston for a visit, I walked through the aisles of a Kroger with my arms outstretched <laughs> going, my arms out, I'm not touching anything. So I discovered that I really was a Texan by moving to New York City. I think it's an extremely challenging place to live. Actually, I, I, I do much, much better. I live on a mountain lake. It's nice. It's quiet. It's just me fighting the mice in my kitchen and listening to my testosterone-poisoned neighbors screaming. And uh, much easier, which is odd, because in many ways I I love being in New York City. I just do not want to live there.
1: I visited your IMDb site, and uh, fascinating work. I, I would like to have you comment on one movie that unfortunately I haven't seen, Insomniac Frightmare killers.
2: I have a voiceover role largely in that, and I, I was never even shown the entire script, so I, I can't really give you much information
0: about that. <laughs> I see. Okay, you're hiding. Uh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say we're talking now uh, briefly about your acting. Uh, is it more difficult living outside of the city to pursue acting roles or acting auditions, uh, or do you find that that's not an issue for you?
2: It's not an issue. I don't have a problem even driving in because I'm still that much of a Texan. I take my car places. But lately, in the last year, auditions have moved to virtual. Mm -hmm. Uh, The self-tapes are things you have to do yourself. I mean, you actually do your own submissions.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's say that you win an audition. Uh, Does the um, schedule interfere with the other things that you may be pursuing? So far, no. Okay.
2: I just juggle. I've always done that. I've always done lots and lots of different things. I mean, when I was in Houston, I had, I had a really heavy freelance writing career at the same time as my law practice. I have a very low tolerance for boredom, and I don't tend to stay at home and stare at the ceilings. I tend to do things.
0: Well, that's a very interesting uh, attitude because it, it's reflected in your writing that it seems like almost every sentence is full of enjoyment and life. There's nothing boring about your writing, and I, I wonder think- perhaps... Is it uh, the the act of writing itself that helps you stave off boredom?
2: Oh, very possibly. Very possibly. I have for years had a a notebook or a piece of paper or something on me, and I'll see something and go, oh, i got to write this down. (laughs) And for a long time, my my attitude, particularly about stuff that I was witnessing in Montrose was, Uh, If you're going to do this in public, it needs to be talked about.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Just to read some kind of completeness here, what is your legal practice?
2: Uh, At the moment, it's mostly wills and intellectual property enforcement for people whose stuff is being stolen online. When I was in Houston, I did a lot of nonprofit arts work and lots of small business formation uh, and a lot of uh, representation in the gay community. I was one of the first attorneys to represent people with AIDS in Houston, and uh, I also wrote the legal documents that approximated the rights of marriage for gay and lesbian couples.
1: Let's talk about your book, "Eat, Drink, and Be Wary." This is a compendium of pieces over what a ten-year period?
2: Oh, probably longer than that. Is that right? Probably closer to twenty. Yeah, most of it comes from uh, my table, which was Houston's Dining Magazine. And a lot of mean, the really longer pieces that are more essay and thought out were cover stories. A lot of it was from my own zine. I I self-published very actively for for 10 years. It's real intermittent now. So
1: what was your guiding logic for picking these pieces? Because I'm sure you had lots to pick from.
2: Uh, I wanted everything to have some defensible connection to food or drink. Or entertaining—that's the connection here. I'm really exploring the role that food and drink play uh, in our cells, in our memories, in how we connect with each other, and uh, how that occasionally gets really crazy.
1: Yeah, you did one piece on junk food that—it uh, <laughs> sounded like a confessional. Do you want to talk? <laughs> do you want to talk about that at all?
2: Well. There are a lot of people who know much, who know better and just still have certain types of junk food that they fall prey to regardless. So I decided I wanted to explore the hold that this has on those of us who even actually eat fairly healthily. And um, I found it one of the more, that that was one of the things that people loved to tell me about, what their favorite junk food habits were, all their little guilty secrets.
0: So, a person who wants to read your book should not expect to get a review of food. Uh, this is not the, your typical uh, food reviewer. This is about people.
2: Yes, it is. And it's what I did with what I experienced. So this is like I had that, there was stuff that happened when I was doing restaurant reviews that didn't fit in the review, but boy, I had to process and vent it somewhere. And um, I just saw all kinds of behavior that's occasioned because of this. One friend of mine calls this five-star
1: surreal dining. That might be a bit extreme. <laughs> <laughs> the pieces are, are joy. I would hardly recommend anybody that loves language and uh, reading somebody who I think is a master at it I would enjoy reading your book.
0: And an observer of people people's behavior.
1: Well, you describe yourself as a self-taught urban anthropologist. Tell yes. me about that.
2: Well, I, it's like I'm uh, in it and yet not in it. And I'm always walk, looking around in terms of what does this mean? What's this little detail? I just have things I track, you know, and, and what food does to people or the stories behind it or their connections or the memories or the role it plays with people is another one of the big things that I just find myself always interested in. Uh, I will be more interested if I go into a new restaurant in the story behind how the food got there than trying to tell somebody how it tastes. That, to me, is much more interesting.
1: Have you got anything in the works? Oh, I have many things in the works.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I have the beginnings of a food-related YouTube channel with uh, another actor, attorney, friend of mine. Uh, I do have several other books in the works that have nothing to do with this. Um, the ones that aren't written are things like The Kid's Guide to the Cosmos. I have more. I have some more astrological and metaphysically mm. based books coming, one on astrology for business, astrology of love
1: languages. So you, you wait and see what bubbles up, and that becomes your next project? or mm, Yeah, how do you I, also tr-
2: have a, I also have an oracle deck that I have sketched out that – Seems, it started out to be planetary, and it turned kind of into amusement park. And one of the cards is whack-a-mole, which I think people can relate to. Yeah, As
0: yeah,
1: a, yeah indeed. I think we've all experienced wh- experience being the mole. <laughs> uh, you have one piece called Table for One mm. that I really enjoyed in the book. And uh, underneath it was all the, so the joys of pleasing yourself instead of others. Uh, does that comment on where you are right now in life?
2: I think that's where I have been for a long time. Yep. I, I think I have uh, consciously embraced it more now. But yes, you live by yourself long enough and you can find. And I think that's one thing a number of people learned during the enforced separations of the last year. A lot of people found their own company and found the joy and the peace and the beauty of their own solitude, not being bombarded by everybody and his dog's emotional dramas coming at them all the time. Uh, not everyone had this experience, but I have witnessed it with a number of people who suddenly realizing the uh, almost like sacredness of their own experience of life.
1: And what we like to do is, at the end of an interview, uh, ask if you have any advice for folks our age, who may be starting the third phase of their life, anything you could suggest?
2: If not now, when?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, we wanted a couple of minutes of profound... (laughs) (laughs) Lovely stuff. Highly recommend this book to people that are listening. Uh, Tell us where they can find it. Um, All the Usual
2: Suspects Online, it's in the online catalog of Brazz's Bookstore and Murder by the Book in Houston. And
0: And it is called, again,
2: Eat, Drink, and Be wary. Cautionary Tales.
0: Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.